Hello, everybody. I'm here with Yvonne Harrison, Women in Football CEO. Hi, Yvonne. Hello, great to meet you. Uh, I'm sorry for my very funny background, but I'm in Greece in Naxos, starting my holidays with the family for August. Yvonne seems in the most, in most more serious environment, I would say. I'm in my home office in the lovely Manchester, which today is not raining, but is looking a bit grim out the window, if I'm honest. <laughs> So, um, I think what caught my attention is that you just published and discussed, I think, even yesterday with your team, a survey and a report that uh, just was out. And I think you had a lot of findings about women in sport and women in football. So, maybe tell me about you and women in football in brief. Yes, absolutely. So, Women in Football is a membership organization. It's free to join. And it's here to support people that want to create gender equality within the football industry. So our membership is about 80% women and 20% male non-binary members. That's really important because everybody has a role around gender equality, not just women. Um, the organisation supports individuals through sharing our expertise. We have lots of different training opportunities. We also celebrate successes and really showcase the amazing women that work within the football industry. And we also call out discrimination, support people who are actually um, kind of experiencing discrimination. And we offer free legal support through Mish Kondorea, who, who provide that for us. Um, we then also support the industry itself. So we have our members and we have over 7,000 members of women in football and about a social following of over 70,000, very engaged, very supportive members. And then we move on to the organizations that work in the industry. So what we found is you can support individuals and that's really important, but if the environments then that they go back to uh, in their organizations aren't really there to nurture, develop and realise the potential of, of our members, then that's a problem. So we work with organisations like the Premier League, uh, various football clubs, organisations that support the football industry, whether that's financial services, whether that's uh, legal, uh, brands that work in football, to actually help them to understand what it's like to be a female working in the industry, some of the challenges, and more importantly, what they can do as organisations to create more inclusive environments. So we're really proud of what we do we're a relatively small team packing a big punch um, and making waves in the industry because it's really important that the industry embraces everything that women has to offer yeah that's a that's a great story and uh, i think uh, the, the best way as i know that you just went out with an interview with fearless ventures i guess that has a lot about you i i, I watch it all of you and it's available on youtube i will put the link uh, somewhere depending on the channel uh, and it's really deep on uh, your organization, your story, what you're doing. I found certain parts so resonating because my wife has been a woman in football um, with my kids playing in football with my boy. And uh, there's a lot of story even in a one year experience. So and right. not, nice story is not nice story. So I, I totally find things that you said that were like, exactly. Like, this is what happened to yeah. us. So um, the good thing is that... Uh, I'm a bit of a data freak and I like to see statistics and I like women in football <laughs> as a concept and, and the, acti the activity you're doing. So um, I know this is some slides or at least a, a shorter version of it. Maybe go through this. I think this one is exactly what you said before, celebrate achievement, challenge discrimination and share expertise. Let's go to the first stat that I think is the more 
maybe generic one, and I let you comment the good and the bad part of what you found out. Yeah, absolutely. So we have been surveying our members for close to a decade now. This is the third survey that we've done. And so what we've looked at is where we currently are, but also what's the trend in terms of kind of the direction of travel within within the football industry. So as you can see here, 82% of our members that responded um, talked about that they have experienced discrimination in the workforce and that is within the football industry. So our survey back in 2020 had a figure that was less than that, it was 66%. So the reality is more women are experiencing discrimination, which is concerning. But there are two ways of looking at this. One is the number of cases of discrimination are going up. Secondly, um, is an aspect where actually women are less tolerant of what perhaps yeah. would have been considered as, you know, just the environment, the culture, we just have to put up with that. So actually, it's more commonly known and accepted in terms of what constitutes discrimination, and therefore, it's reported more widely. Um, and I think there's probably an element of both of those when we've spoken to members, and we've certainly had discussions around this. I think the interesting thing, uh, from a point of view of um, debate is really why, if 82% of our members are experiencing discrimination, why are only 23% reporting it? Um, and back in 2020, only 12% of uh, people wow. reported that. So there's a real there's a real kind of moment, really, to consider across the industry and for organisations in the industry to go, if this volume of people are experiencing discrimination and only this level are reporting it, there is a disconnect or there's something wrong with the environments within which we operate that are not making women feel like they can be open and honest about what's happening to them in the workplace. And if I was a CEO in any organisation, that would be greatly concerning to me. So I think some of our kind of um, messages and support to the industry is, Having policies and processes in place and communicated in and of itself is not enough. You have to create mm -hmm. an environment where women do not feel fearful of saying this has happened to me um, or worried about what the repercussions of that are. Are you going to be seen as a troublemaker? You know, is that going to affect your next promotion? Are your colleagues going to look at you differently? Are you going to be that awkward mm. one that's kind of, you know, going overboard? And these are genuine fears that our members tell us exist. And I, I think that's why um, the reporting levels are so low. But the positive we can take from it is more people than ever before are reporting this. So there's progression in the right direction in that sense but obviously it raises lots and lots of questions so what you're saying basically even if compared to the past maybe the tools and the system are in place and the processes it depends where the culture is and even if the culture is there how authentically women in this case or underrepresented communities really feel it's a true culture because you can have all the steps but then you don't trust it and, and that's it and it's enough not to report I guess. Yeah, and, and actually that's supported by the fact that when we when we delve deeper into that, so if you have experienced discrimination and if you've reported it, we ask the question, what happened? Was there any action taken? Exactly. And over three quarters of the women that responded to that was nothing. Nothing. They didn't see anything happening. So if you think about that in the context of an office environment, for example, um, you know, you're having a conversation with a colleague and maybe 
maybe there's something that's happened in the workplace that you're not quite comfortable with and you know often women will question themselves am i am i being a bit sensitive to this am i overreacting is it me and so they will have conversations around oh this has happened to me what do you think and somebody go yeah well you know what it's totally unacceptable and it happened to me too and then the natural question is what did you do about it did you say anything yeah i told my line manager actually oh and what happened if three quarters of them women then turn around and say nothing if i'm stood there i'd be thinking well if nothing's going to happen and i'm putting myself out there maybe i'll just keep this to myself and get my head down the problem with that is then that cultural piece you're not shifting culture you're not changing behaviors in the workplace because they're not being challenged and there's different ways mm -hmm. of challenging mm -hmm. but it's a real a really important issue we have to see action and action can be all different levels. It's not about, you know, this something that happened that's relatively minor. Somebody gets sacked as a result. That's not what we're saying at all. But you have to challenge behaviours in order to create change in organisations. And that's not just a football or a sport thing. That's organisations full stop. And I'm sorry, not to stay too much on the first task because I want to go through, but one curiosity I have because I've seen different behaviours and I don't like to go generational like you know, the the Gen Z, etc. But you see a, a, a lower level of acceptance of these kind of things by the younger generation. Is it something you observe or I I, I um, have, but I, <laughs> I don't have your data, yeah. so sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um I, it was interesting actually, because the respondents were really varied in terms of role, seniority, and also age profile. We had a really good split. So um, I can't come on the very specifics of that age demographic with what the, what the da data said. I don't have that in front of me right now. But anecdotally, what I can say is that, you know, over half of our members are under the age of 35. Um, so you have yeah. got that uh, yeah. younger generation coming through. We know when you look at um, data around that generation and particularly from um, a, a women's football perspective, you know, it can be quite an activist, social um kind of purpose justice kind of audience from a fan perspective so no doubt that will translate into the workforce as well and I think we we do see you know generational differences what was okay in the 1970s for people that were in the workforce then is absolutely not okay now and you know we've heard that from both women and men that have worked you know at that time and are you know further advanced in their careers now and maybe in their 50s 60s compared with somebody in their 30s 40s compared to somebody you know who's just early career and coming in so I think there definitely is a a generational shift because there is in society you know what is widely accepted and normal in society now is very different from what was 20 years ago we just look at it if you go back on YouTube and look at some TV adverts <laughs> you know talk about gender <laughs> stereotyping some of it's utterly horrific and you just think how on earth was that accepted and not but it but it was back in the day the point is now i think it's about for us anyway a lot of this is about education and bringing to the fore that these are very much issues that are happening now and there's very much things that can be done to change the way that the football industry uh in the main uh potentially behaves and we see some great examples of of best practice within within our corporate member um network and within the industry but it's just not enough and it's not enough scale and the pace of change that we're seeing um yes you know reporting is getting better but it's so slow um and actually we have to we have to push on sport can really make a difference both in the world of um its own industry but in society more broadly so it has a role to play in in and you, the younger generation will be a really important factor in that 
So let's go, thank you. Let's go to the next one. This is sex me. So you're going more specific, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, sexism was 40% uh, of our members working in football have experienced sexism in the workplace. Um, now, I guess from, from that point of view, if you look at it, that's nearly half of your workforce. Yeah. Uh, you know, you've got a gender split of 50. It's one in two people. If you're sat in a room, you look to the left. If it isn't you, it's them. Um, that's unbelievable. Um, and, you know, it's not something that we are we are clearly happy about. And I don't think anybody, whether you're working in the industry or you're, you're you know, you're a manager in an industry, nobody wants to see that. Um, it has improved. That figure has come down from 2020, and that's really important. Um, and we also see where it's specifically around sexism, we see a higher percentage of people reporting this. So, you know, discrimination, you've got a continuum, right. as you will, in terms of um, sexism. But it, but it is important that you kind of flag that, that there is a higher reporting rate. Again, potentially suggesting that what was once acceptable is you know, not. And actually, people are having more confidence. We'd like to think that people that work with women in football, you know, our members are supported. They're part of a community. They can access free legal advice. And, and actually, they, in being part of that, have the confidence to challenge where things are not OK and where they are experiencing these things in work. At the end of the day, we spend an awfully long time in the workplace. And it's important that we can thrive. All people can thrive. It's not just hear about... Um, you know, gender. I mean, if you are a woman, um, but you have a, you're not heterosexual, or if you're a woman of colour, you know, there are different layers uh, of discrimination that then come come into that space and make it even harder. So um, it's really important. I'm, I, I take encouragement from the fact more people are reporting sexism um, and the figures of sexism have gone down, but it's still nearly one in two. And that's just not good enough in this day and age. And the next one is even more worrying, or maybe. Yeah, this is increased. So when we look at different forms of um, discrimination, I mean, it can vary from, you know, derogatory uh, comments on your ability based on your gender. And we've all, all heard that scream like a girl, throw like a girl, like that's uh, a bad thing. We, we know these things exist. It can be uh, sexist banter. It can be sexism itself. You know, but sexual harassment, I mean, this is really serious. Um and nearly one in, you know, if we had five women right. in a room, one in five um, are experiencing this in their workplace. Yeah. You know, it's absolutely unacceptable. And this has gone up since we last asked the question. So how do you read, how do you read this going up? Sorry, sorry, Ivan. How do you read this going Pardon? up? What's your, reading? What's your reading of this going up? Because... Yeah, so, well, back in 2016, when the question was asked, the, the figure was 15%, and now, now it's 18%. So we know it's gone up um, in terms of the number of people that are experiencing that. Um, you know, is that because more women are coming into the industry? Is that, you know, uh, there are more questions to be asked around, around this in particular, and some of the others, you know, actually, what, what departments are people working in? Is this the on-pitch stuff, the off-pitch? You know, we don't know. It's hard to say that the whole industry is, you know, has an issue here with that. Is it specific departments within football? Is it specific types of organisations? You know, it requires further level of sort of investigation and research. But the, the on the cold face, more women are experiencing sexual harassment in the football industry. And that is not OK. Yeah, clear. And um, I think the this is more a summary and it's maybe a bit uh, difficult to read, but 
there is a um, a level of different things that are that are impacting uh, women in this case. Yeah. And I think the first one is the banter, the, which is like, come on, you know, there was a a, a case on uh, Italian television during I think it was the diving. It was horrible, like two men, and there was one in Formula One in Italy. Uh, and there's, there's been a lot of debate, but it's like the fact that this happens, it means that you're going on, on air to say things like that. It means your environment day by day, it's like that. Because otherwise, I mean, unless you're, I don't know, something crazy happening yeah. that moment in your life. I mean, how, how do you do it? I mean, if you don't do it every day, you won't do it on air, yeah. right? No, exactly. Yeah, it's like it's normal and it's not normal. And, you know, I, I speak to lots of different organisations. I talk at lots of different conferences. And actually, the the thing that I always come back to on this one, um, you know, jokes that were deemed acceptable 15, 20, even 10 years ago, you know, society has moved on, thankfully, um, and they're not acceptable now. And and I always pose the question, you know, if if that joke, if that banter as such was directed and your daughter was on the receiving end of that or your mother was in the room listening to that um, or your niece, um, you know, would you be OK with it? And if the answer is no, then you really need to question why it's OK with other female colleagues. And, you know, one of the biggest things that we see uh, and we know is going to be massively important in the, sh in the cultural shift is around allyship and people. People calling it out for what it is. So, for example, if there was a joke directed at a colleague, a female colleague, and there was a big group of people, and I was the person that said, hey, come on, I don't think that's okay, it would land to a certain degree. But if, Carlo, you said to your male colleague, hang on a minute, that's not okay, that would hit differently because you are more like your male colleague than I am. And and also, of course, you would expect me to say something because I'm going to stick up for, you know, the women. and the... So so there is there is a real importance around allyship and that education piece and people understanding that, you know, you can't just be a bystander in, in culture and assume, you know, oh, it wasn't me. I didn't say it. You're complicit because you're there and you're not saying anything. Just like, you know, for areas where people are experiencing other forms of discrimination, it's not OK. We must recognise the privilege that we have and we must talk about the fact that some of these things are not okay and there are different ways of dealing with that whether that's in the group outside of the group however but the point is it should be addressed and it's not just the women's job to address sexism banter gender inequality it really isn't i agree and i have direct experience with that i also learned that allyship is something you have to learn it's not like the obvious so uh, we're together yeah. and someone says something inappropriate and with you there, to you, for example, with you there, I immediately intervene and say, that's not okay. In that case, I should talk to you before or check because you may, you don't want me to defend. Maybe you're able to, to reply yourself. So it's a very subtle, so allyship is something you have to learn. I have experienced it a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And it's not obvious. You need to learn how to do it. You need to talk to people. And yeah. So it's it's uh, I think it's it's important. At, uh, I was at the conference and then there was the usual women panel talking about women in in sport. In this case, in the broadcast industry, and uh, yeah. one of my friends, she's a CTO of a big media organization. And she said, "I don't want to be in panel anymore. I mean, you created the problem, you solved the problem. I want to do my job. I'm okay for a while, but I want to see a, a panel, a panel for once, all." 
created with men that discuss how yeah. they will solve these things. I, it's a bit of a provocation, but I, I like. I, I mean, initially I said, "Oh, well, what are you saying?" And then I liked it a lot. To be honest, I get it. I get it. It's about disrupting the norm. You know, I've spoken at so many conferences about gender equality, both in sport and in football, and been talking to rooms full of women. And we, you know, I've stood on the <laughs> stage and I've said, "You agree? This, this it, we all get it. Like we need." We need it flipping. The audience needs to be more men than women. And actually, yeah, come up with the solutions because the problem was created in many ways by the way society has evolved and men yeah. have been largely dictating that. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So uh, I, I, the next yeah, one. However, Sorry, go, go just, on. just, yeah, just a caveat. I think, you know, it's it's everybody's problem. It's everybody's problem. And we should be co-designing the solutions together because you have you have to understand from anybody's perspective what it feels like to you know what are the issues and what does it feel like and men can't create the solutions necessarily because they don't necessarily wholly understand the problem so you've got to get everybody in a room and that's where that allyship that education that co-design piece is so important i agree so the next one very quickly because you touched upon it is a difficult word intersectionality uh you may have uh, so it's not only about being a woman, but there, you can have a lot of combined underrepresented yeah. groups in, in you, like you're a woman, uh, you may be black, you may be uh, 60 and things like that. So even understanding that is, again, it's a bit sophisticated, but I think it's important as you progress. I think it's, it's a yeah. journey. I mean, for me, it has been a journey, to be honest, to understand. Yeah, it is. But, you know, the, the, the positive thing is you're you're taking responsibility to educate yourself. You're kind of out there seeking this information and going, well, what part can I play? Um, and it is a journey, but sometimes, um, you know, we can all be guilty of, well, it's it's your job to educate me. Well, no, it's not. Uh, it's your job to seek, seek out the information and, you know, we'll be happy to sort of share that with you. And that goes around all different forms of discrimination and underrepresented groups and, you know, because it, it, it's it's important that we we all take personal responsibility for our knowledge and our behavior yeah and the next one again a bit of terminology edi terminology conscious and unconscious bias can you define it quickly for everybody before you discuss this what, what you find out yeah i th i mean i think with with these terms they've become much more um known and widespread so the conscious bias is you know you know that you know that um ultimately um you have a you have a bias towards a certain thing or a certain person or a view and you're very aware of it whereas unconscious actually it might be because you've been raised in a certain household or a certain community and you've not been exposed to certain things and therefore you you naturally talk about things in a certain way and you're not necessarily aware that that could be offensive or cause a problem to to other people but these are two major factors and what was interesting about the survey was that um unconscious bias was obviously rated quite highly in terms of one of the major challenges for um women um in the football industry but so was conscious bias so people being aware of um almost being aware of what they're doing and and why and that they're doing it, but actually not bothered. Um, I think that's the really interesting thing that emerged for me. We've definitely seen a bigger uptake of unconscious bias training and things like that um, in recent years. And I think it's positive, but you could almost hide behind 
with unconscious bias, you could almost hide behind, well, I didn't know, I wasn't aware, therefore my behaviour is okay. Um, and and it isn't okay. So it goes back to that point of educating yourself and really seeking out information to know how you can contribute to a workplace and you can be um, more inclusive uh, in your approach and bring people into conversations and recognise some of the challenges that they might face Um and that requires you to seek out that information. And it, you know, from an employer point of view, um, you know, they should be providing some of that and get make it as easy as possible um, for employees, really. So that's the interesting one. I think if you in in the debate yesterday when we um, launched, kind of went through on a webinar our survey results, there was a really interesting comment made from one of the panelists around active bystander training rather than unconscious bias so you can't hide behind that it's kind of like almost within within environments these things happen and these are some of the reasons and it goes back to being passive or not or kind of in and around but not speaking up so what can you do if you hear these things that you now know are not okay whether you did or you didn't before is irrelevant now you know you know what you're going to do about it um, and I just thought that was really interesting it's definitely something I'm keen to sort of unpick a little bit more really yeah, good. So, um, not to take too much of your time, let's end on some positive notes, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's lots of optimism in here. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, the number is huge. Yeah, eighty-nine mean, percent. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because despite the backdrop of the discrimination, of increased levels of discrimination, um, and some of the major challenges people are facing, there is a real optimism of women working in the industry around this industry and the prospects for women here. Um, I think that's really, really important. And it's grown significantly since the last time we, we did the survey. And there's also a statistic as well around 67% of the women in football feeling like they can excel in this industry so that's a really positive note to finish on when you give the context I mean it's great anyway but when <laughs> you have that context of everything that women are facing and still the glass is half full very much half full I think that's quite exciting and you know there's a number of things that will play into that I think there are more um, the community is very strong it's very united we have women of all ages all types of roles um, that are part of our community and and when we when we have our events and people come for the first time or even you know have been time and time again just say I just you know you feel like you belong um, and you feel like you're not on your own and and that's important because depending on what kind of role you're in in the football industry you can be on your own you can be that only woman in that department and you stand out therefore as a result so you know it's important we have more women in all kinds of roles because then you're not the only one and more of more of one is 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 definitely helpful but there is there is absolutely an optimism and i you know i sense that and i also think maybe the growth of the women's game the visibility of the women's game is getting is also contributing to that because it's more visible and you know more people are talking about how exciting women's football is and i think that's really important um from our point of view in terms of the whole workforce across football you know, most of our members currently work in the men's game that's where the majority of jobs are that's where most of the infrastructure is but we'll certainly start to see that shift i think as, as more and more roles become available in the women's game and the leagues professionalize even further than we have with the barclays women's super league and barclays women's championship so it's an exciting time to be involved in the industry i think the industry is more tuned 
tuned into um, gender equality. Um, when we look at the work that the EFL have done around um, their together strategy, you know, the Premier League working on a gender equality strategy, it's not kind of it, it, gender is coming into the forefront in and of itself now, as opposed to being bracketed in this other forms of discrimination. And, um, you know, women are not underrepresented in society. We make up half of the population. Oh, yeah. So therefore we shouldn't be underrepresented in in a workforce or, or anything else. And yet we are. And particularly as you kind of climb up the ladder, less and less women feel kind of supported into those senior management and board positions. And that's obviously something that we will be uh, very strongly focusing on as well at, at Women in Football. But that optimism is there. Um, and, you know, if anybody is keen to work in this industry, already works in it, cares about gender equality in football and wants to, you know, make a difference, then join us. It's free to join and, and we'd love to have you. Great. And the last one, I think, is... 67% uh, of women believe football is a sector where women can excel. I think it's what you said before, but uh, what yeah. I notice is uh, it's another, whatever, one third more than 2020. So, which is not that yeah. far away apart of the pandemic, <laughs> right? So yeah. It, yeah, that, that's also another positive note. Um, yeah. One thing that I also wanted to, oh, sorry, sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say it's, it's positive and, um, you know, we're, we're really happy about that. Yeah. And one thing that I wanted to share, and for a moment we'll go uh, off screen, uh, there is a, a QR code uh, just to find women in football. So as you said, everybody that uh, wants to join, it, there is an easy way. And uh, you have a lot of amazing people in your organization. So um, thank you for uh, doing this. I think uh, it was really good to go through a bit of, you know, a bit of, with some time through the rational to exactly what is happening. Is one last question is, do you think the next steps? So the, the action list, imagine this was a, a board. What, what are the action lists for you? Um, I think there's a couple of things really. One is to take this research and you know spread it around the industry, make sure it stays on people's radar because it's the largest survey of its kind. It's the most recent data that anybody will have and it's a very accurate barometer of where women are uh, within the industry and how they're feeling. So it's about spreading the word, which is why it's great to, to join you today. Um, secondly, is for us to specifically work with our corporate members to kind of deep dive into their organisations because they're the ones that have already made the commitment. You know, they're corporate members of women in football. They're already um, very much committed to gender equality in their industry. So let's help and, and accelerate um, with them. And the third thing really is for us to kind of ask more questions as a result of the research and start to understand from our members, you know, what does this mean for you? What can be done? What do you want to see? Um, because, you know, we're here on, on behalf of our members. And when we go in and advocate with, you know, whether policy, whether that's um, government, so around the Karen Carney review as an example, uh, and the recommendations that came out of that specifically to women's football, you know, recommendation number four was around um, the workforce, it was around data, it was around, you know, transparency of that data. Mm. Um, so I think women's football is going to be leading the way in terms of workforce data and then a workforce strategy that sort of sits behind that. We would want to see that obviously expand right across the game, not just in women's football, um, but actually utilising some of these opportunities to lobby uh, and advocate at, you know, that government and policy level, but also with our key stakeholders, the Premier League, the EFL, the FA, and actually, you know, make workforce a key priority because when we look at the growth of the women's game as well, 
there'll be a whole range of players who currently play that are not going to have the long careers and not going to be able mm-hmm. to just retire on the basis of playing football. They're too far on now. So actually, we've got to make sure we can transition people into really meaningful careers in the football industry and not lose all of that memory and 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 um, kind of their their experiences out of the game into other industries because you know it's important that that we retain that. So there's definitely action on on the back of it in terms of raising awareness, raising more questions, and kind of keeping this top of profile and also looking at how the industry can collaborate um, because no one organisation in football is going to solve. Um, the inequities that exist across the board never mind with gender equality so we have to do it together and you know we're really um happy proud to to play a part in that but we also know we need other people to join us as you mentioned player i noticed that there could be an opportunity in supporting women football players in this case or athletes with technology for example i recently started mentoring a startup called wonko that has uh, certain nutrition programs to help athletes during menstruation, for example, and even women in business, by the way. Uh, we saw recently the FIFA World Cup uh, in Australia and New Zealand that there were a lot of ACL injuries, maybe because a lot of things are not done for women. And that's true for athletes and for women in business. So that's yeah. an area of opportunity that, as you were saying, I mean, there is a workforce coming also from players. So I think there are a lot of opportunities coming from this ecosystem, not only for players, not only for women in football, but it's a bigger ecosystem that maybe uh, we realize today. Yeah, absolutely. And we've actually just launched an entrepreneurship program with Zero um, ah. last week. Um, so we're looking for women who are wanting to start their own businesses uh, connected to football to join us, to come through a program, to be mentored, to be supported. Um, because we recognize that, you know, um, there are opportunities and often particularly when you look at um, kind of footwear and, you know, Laura Youngson, who's mm, one of the ambassadors sorry. of that programme, and Ida and, you know, Boots for Women's Feet and some of the research that the ECA have done around that now. Um, there's a real need and sometimes women just get on and do it. So let's give them the support. You know, you might be well placed to work in, in a club or in an environment. You also might want to just do it do it yourself. And, um, yeah. you know, we've got that support now with Zero, which is brilliant. Great to finish with an innovation uh, part of the talk. <laughs> okay, thank you, Vaughn. I'll let you go back to your day and your August. It was really nice talking to you. And uh, maybe let's yeah. talk again in two, two, three years. Absolutely. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Enjoy your holiday. <laughs> ciao, ciao, ciao.